Hey, yo, what the f***? This is a palace right here. The late night flight is paid for by the following. Hello. I have three questions for you. When you're talking NBA with your white co-workers, do you say that Dallas Mavericks point guard Luka Doncic is the best player in the NBA to position yourself as non-threatening in the office? And when black people think that you talk like a white person, do you reply, hey, hey, you would too if you graduated from an HBCU. Are you Rachel Dozer? If you do or are any one of these three, then you are suffering from the contribution of white privilege. Hi, my name is Nasur Nuru, and if you are looking to go from Wayne Newton to Wayne Brady, please give us a call at 1-800-HELL-NO-CAMS. That's 1-800-HELL-NO-CAMS. Give us a call now before you turn into TV. Everybody on a Martin, everybody marching for a young nigga like me to get tsunami on it. I'ma get it, I'ma win a baby. I'll be on my curry till I crash a bird 40 on the Yeah, I'm acting dirty if it's at the appellation to the appellation. I'ma do whatever that it takes to make a black a nation. Hold on. Why are people homeless when there are thousands of empty apartments? Um, I, I feel like, you know, capitalism has reached its, its peak and uh, the wage gap, right? So the, uh, the other day, I volunteered to go out and count the homeless with the census, right? So we go, and it's like this area in Philly where the art museum and the Rocky statue and all of that stuff where the tourists be. Well, the homeless people actually carved out their little space on a baseball field, and they barricaded themselves in in, in a little tent city. So a few of them let us in, and we were doing the count, but then the one dude came and was like, yo, why the f*** is y'all here? He was like, yo, y'all got to get off this pr- property right now and really kick this out. And he was like, y'all don't leave in like two minutes. I'm calling security, which they have their own security force, and we getting y'all the f*** out of here. So we rallied everybody up who was with us and got off of their property. So I just came across an article where, you know, um, the city has agreed tentatively to make available 50 um, city-owned housing units so that they can move into those housing units, build them up into affordable housing. Nice. I also came across an article where there are 15,000, at least 15,000 vacant apartments in New York City. Um, and New York City has its own homeless problem. So it's like the, the conventional wisdom would say, you know, if there's empty apartments and people who don't have homes, why don't they match those two things together? And we understand that there's a business part of it. And if you remember on our earlier episodes, we talked about how, like, you know, famous people are becoming developers, but they're not really giving away affordable rent to the people who actually live in the city. Yep. Um, and they should probably charge like 20% less than market value. Yep. Um, another thing I think that they should look at doing is getting rid of the security deposit. You know what I'm saying? Like it doesn't make sense because that only protects the landlord. It doesn't necessarily protect or, or benefit the person moving into the property. There's no mutual benefit. You've just basically given 
two months extra rent to the landlord to hold in, in what's called escrow. And you may or may not get it back when you move out of the property. That's true. And that's just creating another barrier because some people who are struggling um, could probably afford that one month to get into the place. You know what I'm saying? That's going to help them have somewhere secure to stay so that they could, you know, continue to, to work and do the things that they need to do to build themselves up to being more comfortable. So, Hanif, my question to you is, what can these developers do? These developers that probably, you know, are mixed in with other real estate developers, you know, because, you know, people have to bring in some real money to, you know, make sure they, they build the property. So my question to you is, why are these developers on a business end? Why are they so scared to build property that realistically, let's just be realistic, may not make them money, but will save lives. And, and mind you, this is money from these developers that I'm not saying that they, they do not need, but they were always they were already going to use the money anyway. Right. So what say you on that? So there, there's a few things like obviously like real estate is one of the, the easiest ways to gain wealth in the United States. And it has always been. But, you know, when we have this, this system that's set up where it's like, yo, you got these vacant properties sitting here anyway, and you're not getting money from them, you're actually losing money, but you're going to hold on to them in the hopes that like, you know, at some point, real estate is a safe bet. That money's going to come back to you, whether it's through the equity, the home appreciation, or you're going to sell it somewhere down the future, or you'll get a renter who will pay top dollars to live in that property. You're going to get your money back. But one idea would be to, instead of spending all of this money on developing these properties to, to make them uh, appealing to wealthier people, you can make them available to lower class people and do some sort of sweat equity program where it's like, all right, I found an old vacant ap uh, apartment building and I bring these people in, train them or, or put them with a, a construction crew have them help to work to build a house to live in standard and then let them move in and then they pay you continuously. So as long as they're paying you rent on a consistent monthly basis, you're, you're going to profit. It's just not going to be 10,000% profit, but it's still profit. Hey, yo, what the f***? This is a pallet right here. Why is it frowned upon to kiss your woman's on Zoom? You're going to have to ask legislator Juan Emilio Amiri from S. Argentina. Okay. So this dude right here, he's from the lower house of Congress. He's a legislator in Argentina's lower house of Congress. He has been forced to resign after he was seen kissing his girlfriend's bare breasts during an online congressional debate. Now, Juan is saying, well, Juan's basically just saying that he had a terrible internet connection at home. That's what he said in a radio interview later on. Uh, he said that his girlfriend, who recently had breast augmentation surgery, happened to enter the room while he thought he was offline. And he called her over. He wanted to see how the implants look. I'm pretty sure he paid for them. And, you know, he said, let's look. Uh, let's look at this one. OK, let's look at that one. Okay, let's look at the scars. And she was beside him and he started kissing it and that was all. And I wanna I want I wanna I wanna give him points for actually using the word 
in his radio online interview. That was funny. Yeah. <laughs> and and despite his claim that he thought he was offline, the footage that promptly went viral shows the legislator looking directly into the computer's camera before pulling down the partner's blouse, all in full view for the other members of Congress and online viewers. Now, I don't know, because he's from Argentina, but let me tell you something. If he was from New Jersey, he would have my vote, okay? Definitely, yeah. He would have my vote. I mean, this dude got a bad chick with him while he's over here creating laws. I mean, (laughs) listen, you know what? Look, you know what? The last episode, I said some mean things about, you know, strippers getting the opportunity to, like, promote uh, to promote voting by, you know, putting, you know, words like vote on a plastic bus. You know what? I take all that back. Everybody, just, you know, whatever you need to do, you want to use your body to make a point, I'm all for it. You know, if this man wants to have his wife in front of him, you know, just to let y'all know that his chick is bad, you know, who am I to... Why should I hate on this man, Hanif? You shouldn't. I mean, uh, like to me, it's it's the equivalent of kissing a boo boo, right? She just had surgery. It might be a little sore, and he was trying to soothe his partner. And I, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Uh, another point is is that you know we need to get away from demonizing sex. You know what I'm saying? And you, we talk about all of these instances of consent and what this consent looked like. These are two consenting adults, you know, and it was clearly a mistake, but they make making much to do about nothing over some normalized behavior. That man showing affection to his partner, there should be nothing wrong with that. He should not be losing his job as a result. That's because none of, none of the other legislators None of the other legislators that was on that Zoom call has a girlfriend that looked like that. Not even the female, not even the female legislators don't even have a girlfriend that looked like that. Okay, like <laughs> he had the baddest chick, and he definitely did a deep sea nose dive. Like he he went all nose in them. <laughs> he's enjoying himself, and, and you know if, if he's a little more relaxed and at ease as a result, and, and he's able to pass some positive legislation, so bitch. Why are teachers infringing on their students' right to bear arms in virtual classrooms? All right, I need, I gotta ask you a question. Hold on, hold on, this is crazy. So, people under the age of 17 have the right to bear arms? Let me know about that. No, I mean, legally, like, real firearms, no, but toy guns, absolutely. Okay, and this was a BB gun? Correct. And I'm pretty sure that this this young man, this kid, this nine-year-old kid from Louisiana didn't mean to have a BB gun in the, you know, the visual, you know, in that visual tunnel that the teacher can see, you know? Right. I, I, I believe uh, on this article on CNN that I was reading, he tripped over the BB gun. He saw it, so he picked it up. But the thing was, you know, he's a nine-year-old kid, so, you know, he wasn't thinking super clearly. He just put it next to him. Right. You know, but I mean, hey, like my man Ding Ray said, you know, it's about guns and butter. He put that gun in that in that tower and, you know, held it like a baby. So, you know, in, in the nine year old's uh, defense, you know, he he did the right thing. <laughs> got to protect, got to protect your baby. Now, I, I want to say this, though. I want to say this. I really 
dislike the school right now. Though. Mm. The fact that this is that this is out in the media, you know, right? This should not be out in the media because now you are giving in. I, I hate to, um, you know, target you white people. I, I say this with love, okay? I say these things with love on this show. It gives white people an angle to, again, demonize black kids. Sure. You know, like, oh, this black student had a BB gun. Like, come on now. I mean, you're already doing an invasion of privacy by, you know, basically doing this remote learning, but we understand why we are doing remote learning. We don't even have to remind each other what have occurred these last three months. But the thing is, you know, why isn't this teacher taking a better stance on this? Why are you not even like call the parents? I heard that he called the grandfather on a, um, as an emergency contact, but still you keep it in house. It's like, Hey, I don't know if you know, but just, you know, your grandson has a BB gun, you know, and it's on the, you know, it's on video. So people going to see this. Right. But, but what it goes into is, it goes into the whole idea that black children aren't viewed as children, right? Because clearly, you know what I'm saying? The gun is in, you know, his house. Now, I don't know how real the gun looked, but at the very least, like you say, you call the parents, let them know what the situation is. Once it's confirmed that the gun is fake and it's, it's something that he plays with on a regular basis, it's no harm, no foul at that point. But to push the issue to, you know, expulsion and to try and use a policy saying that he had a gun in school when he's at home, like there's always going to be this new legal uh, framework that we're trying to figure out, you know, where does the school start and the home end? You know what I'm saying? Like, how do we determine where we are in our own private homes when we are in a virtual setting, be it at work, school, or any other virtual setting. You know what I'm saying? Right. Oh, yeah. I do know what you're saying. But another thing is, too, there was a study last year that said that, you know, black kids are more likely to be expelled or suspended from school. And that is kind of a catalyst that leads to the uh, school to prison pipeline. So this, this is just another instance of that and it's extending into virtual school we can't even be in our homes doing normal child without you know being treated like that. all that is true i'm with you i i kind of want to just take a step down on that where i just feel like you know the teacher just took a bad angle at all of this mm-hmm. like, I, I feel like this teacher wasn't being, you know, the guardian and supervisor that a teacher is as well with that job. I mean, just be, as a teacher, you're more than, especially when you're teaching elementary kids, you know, you're not, you're more, honestly, you're a babysitter. Right. You know, you're a babysitter that is educating, that's educating young people. And these young people have, you know, let's be honest, they're a lot, they're, they're hyper as hell. You know, it's hard for anybody wanting, you know, I'm a grown, grown man. It's hard for me to sit anywhere for 12 minutes, okay? So, you know, I, I get it. You know, I really feel as though that in these times, in these remote times, I feel as though teachers need to give themselves a little more rope than, you know, than what they usually would give themselves inside school. It's a lot going on right now. Right. right. And, you know, the fact that they have put this, in the media's eyes where CNN and Fox News can eat this up and, and, and make give people, 
their own uh their own agendas, their own versions of how they want to predict put their story together. That's that's just that's bad public news to me. Hey yo, what the f this is a palace right here. Why is it important that Apple and Fortnite are fighting for world domination? What the f is that? Listen, we are in a state of virtual existence, right? So even with COVID, it, it was already happening, but COVID kind of pushed it to the forefront where we kind of exist in virtual reality, right? So pretty much a lot of things that we do is online and a lot of things we're going to continue to do is online, right? So here you have Fortnite, which is basically this virtual world where people, these young people are congregating. They're making their simulated characters and they actually congregate and do normal shit that you would probably do if you were outside, except that maybe throw a little Grand Theft Auto in there where you could go and randomly kill people and go on missions and stuff like that. But what they did was they took away like the blood and gore. So it's like if you shoot somebody, you're shooting bananas instead of bullets. You know, if you cut somebody, some sort of magic dust comes out of them instead of blood. So it's really like kid friendly in that way. So the story about Apple and Fortnite is um, Fortnite uh, was downloaded through the Apple store. Now, if you know Apple, if you have an iPhone, all of your um, purchases go through the iTunes store. So what happens is Apple charges every company that uses that platform 30% of whatever their sales are. So Fortnite is saying like, listen, we can process our uh, clients' purchases without the 30% and charge them less and keep our own money. We don't need you for that, Apple. And we could still use Apple. And if they choose to buy through Apple, yes, they'll just pay a higher price. But we also want to offer them an option to buy stuff cheaper. Apple said, man, f*** out of here. If you want this game on Apple products, then you're going to pay this 30%. So Fortnite was starting to circumvent that process. And Apple kicked them off. So you can no longer have Fortnite or download Fortnite directly through any Apple device. So if you rewind two years ago, if you remember, Fortnite had its own legal battle where they did something where, you know, in the game, when you're making your character, you can buy little add-ons like dance moves, certain clothes, um, other things that you can do like side purchases for. So they were using the Millie Rock dance. I don't know if you remember that. Um, I'm Millie Rock on any block. So they was using that dance. So the rapper who created it was like, hold up, y'all making money off this. I want to sue. So it went all the way to the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court ruled against uh, two Millie and he ended up dropping the lawsuit. Like, cause they had like the Carlton dance. Alfonso Ribeiro was on the lawsuit. Uh, Will Smith to getting jiggy with it. Like all of these different iconic dance moves was in that game and making a profit and the Supreme Court told Epic um, Games, who owns Fortnite, that it was okay for them to, to do that. Hold up. That's funny. So that means Carlton, Will Smith, and Millie Rock do never copywritten their own shit. Correct. Those, those dances were not their own to, to own, but everybody knows them for it. That's funny. I'm just saying, I mean, that's... They took it all... I'm pretty sure the lawyer... 
had to let them know that before they even got to Supreme Court. Like, hey, yo, you, you, hey, did you you got rights on this? No, they were trying to they were trying to to establish a choreographer, something called the choreographer's copyright. Okay. Okay. Do create a certain sequences sequence of a dance move that it is um, your choreography and you own it in that sense. But I believe because those dance moves are like one step, like it's it's not a whole full routine. It's just like one or two steps to it. They, I think they fell short of that requirement. Okay, so let me make sure I got this correct. So Fortnite is a game that should be like Marvel versus Capcom, but is more like Disney versus Looney, as in Looney Tune. As far as the graphics and, and the content, yes. Okay, got it, got it. But it's a fighter game. It's a, you know, so. yeah, it's an it's a open concept game, so you can, you can pretty much do anything. Like my cousin had one instance where... I don't, her and like a friend of hers, or like you get on it, like you uh, talking to your friends, and y'all each got your own characters, and y'all could play the game together in that way. So y'all walking through doing missions, doing all sorts of different stuff. But y'all go to parties. I don't know if you remember, but like maybe I want to say like six months ago, they released a concert with Travis Scott within the game. It was an exclusive concert inside of the game where Travis Scott concert got 12 million views. You know what I'm saying? Through this Fortnite game. And this is where it gets important and where it's changing the game. Because you have all of these different communities of people who are congregating via playing this game and Fortnite has that access. So if they want to drop a Travis Scott concert, they could book Travis Scott to perform this virtual concert at whatever price he decides to charge, and then they can put that into their into their gaming system. Right? Yo, hold up. I'm reading this article on an intelligencer. That's what it's called, the intelligencer. Huh. And and on in this article, they're saying that Fortnite has 125 million subscribers. They make 300 million dollars a month. Yeah. Yo, hold on. They're worth $18 million at this point. And they're, a, they're just a video game because they have their video game on Nintendo Switch. So this is just a game. It's just a game. This is not even a, a, a gaming console like Xbox and shit. No, it's a game. Yo, this is amazing. If I'm Fortnite, I'm telling Apple, fuck you. That's, that's what they're essentially doing. Um, but it's what they what they uh, what they've successfully done is made video gaming. They married video gaming with social media. That's what Twitch is. Twitch is basically that. So here's the thing, right? Mm -hmm. This is it, there's a whole new world of opportunity. You know what I'm saying? Because then my mind started turning. I'm like, yo, if you could license the podcast, if mm -hmm. you could. If you're a rapper and you do music and you could you're you you have an audience on Fortnite, whether it's ten thousand people, a hundred thousand people, however many people, you could exclusively sell your content direct to consumer through the Fortnite app in a virtual setting. Damn. So how when do that, we when that when that Xbox coming out? Xbox is I think November or December, the same around the same time the, the PlayStation 5 coming out. Do they have like Xbox tutors, like tutors or something like that. I said tutors, tutors. 
I need I need to learn how to play video games. It seems like I'm going to be uh, spending a third of my life in in video game world, yo. Because no, because that's crazy. Because that's what makes Travis Scott and Tyler the Creator so big. And people be like, how the f- are they so big? Like, yo, they're on these 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 platforms that you know most people. I don't say most people, but some people now because I'm you got a third of the a third of this country is gamers now. Right. They are on Twitch. They are playing Call of Duty, Grand Theft Auto, obviously Fortnite, you know, and that's how they're interacting with each other. I mean, you're you're more likely to meet Devin Booker from the Phoenix Suns on a video game than you would in actual life. This is true. Will adding the first openly gay black woman to SNL make black people watch again? I say yes, but a very smart man I know named Hanif Sowell said no, but if you put Megan Thee Stallion on it, definitely. And I thought about that. That makes a lot of sense. That makes a lot of sense. Imagine Megan Thee Stallion on SNL. I think a lot of black people, like if you could just actually have a, a, a Nielsen rating for how many black people are watching television, I think you would definitely get a rating. I, yo, I think Megan Thee Stallion would definitely pop like, you know, four million black people watching Saturday Night Live that night that she's on, like as far as her doing sketch comedy the whole way through. Yeah, well, she's, she's going to make a musical appearance. But, you know, normally when they do the musical appearance, it depends on what Megan's personality is. They normally try and incorporate them into the skits. And no, I- she could just be like a host. Like, like, well, I'm just using it as well, not the host. because we're talking about a cast member. So imagine Megan Thee Stallion actually being a cast member. Oh, if she was a regular on Saturday Night Live. Absolutely. That's what I'm saying. I think four million black people would tune in and watch that. Listen, I, all they would have to do if, 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 if I could make a suggestion, mm-hmm. I would say, just let Megan randomly twerk through, you know, when they do the little news hour with um, with uh, uh, Colin Jost and uh, Michael Che. Yeah, like just let her randomly twerk through random, random skits. You know what I'm saying? That'll be dope. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, so this, <laughs> so this, <laughs> this question is based off the premiere of the 46th season of Saturday Night Live, Saturday Night Live will be adding a Southern comedian, a Southern comedian, a Southern comedian by the name of Punky Johnson. Punky Johnson has worked on sketches such as uh, Adam Ruins Everything and a Black Lady Sketch Show. She is the first openly gay Black woman to join the cast. Now, I'm very, very proud of her. Don't know her, just proud of her. One thing about SNL because it's funny how black Americans for the most part don't tune into Saturday Night Live which is you know whatever that's neither here or there but think about this for a second Saturday Night Live has produced black millionaires oh it's true let me run down the list so Leslie Jones who was just recently on Saturday Night Live this was the, the oldest member, like as far as when you debut on Saturday Night Live. Mm-hmm. She was 46 years old. Now this woman is a freaking star. She is a household name in America. She starred in the remake of Ghostbusters, and she's going to be doing the remake as a host on Supermarket Suite on ABC. How about that? 
Right. Um, then you have now there's a couple of people I'm gonna skip over, you know, because they didn't get to hit that that that, you know, this pinnacle of success that Leslie Jones hit. The next one is Maya Rudolph. You may like her, Hanif. She's part of the light skinned delegation. She's she does the Kamala Harris impression. She does the Beyonce impressions on Saturday Night Live. She's been in Brosmaze. She's really, really dope. She's a very good actress and it's funny. I like her. Chris Rock. Chris Rock, I think for 20 strong years, and although I love Dave Chappelle, Chris Rock has an argument to say that he had he is the best stand-up comedian the last 20 years, hands down. He has he can say that. He, he can make the argument of saying that, in my opinion. Now, um, who else got to be prominent from Saturday Night Live? Oh, Tracy Morgan. Tracy Morgan didn't even do a lot of great skits on SNL, but Lauren Michaels liked them so much. He wound up working with Tina Fey, being on 30 Rock, which turned out to be an Emmy Award winning sitcom. Boom, Tracy Morgan, he a G. And then if you want to go even more back, I mean, come on, let's, let's not even go there. Eddie Murphy, who probably is the greatest Saturday Night Live cast member ever. Right. He carried Saturday Night Live on his shoulders in the 80s, and you already know what his resume is. I don't have to run that down. And then you even have Gary Morris. I hope I said his name right. If it's not Gary Morris, it's Gary Morgan. I think it's Gary Morris. And from Martin. From, exactly. He was in Martin, also in the Jamie Foxx show. And he was, he was in the first ever Saturday Night Live cast in the early 70s. Wow. So he was the first token. Shout out to him. But I'm very happy for Punky for, uh, for Punky because she'll be able, I think, yo, to be on this platform, she'll be able to, you know, maybe get a lot of different opportunities. And and that says a lot because that dude, Mikey Day, that was writing with Nick Cannon with Wildin' Out, he left mm-hmm. and wound up going to Saturday Night Live. And his career has like is going to on a whole nother level. Think about Michael Che, black dude. He's the first black lead head writer for Saturday Night Live. Oh, really? Yeah, so I kind of implore my black Americans to kind of watch Saturday Night Live. I will say the last seven years, Saturday Night Live has been very aware. Now, some people don't like their political jokes, and that's neither here or there, but what I would say as far as their awareness of what social justice is and how they can make jokes about a lot of things that's going on, they're really spot on right now. Hey, yo, what the f***? This is a pallet right here. Should there be an asterisk next to this year's NBA Finals winner? I believe the pop group Queen said, we are the champions, my friends, and we keep on fighting even if we have to put on masks because the coronavirus is out here. Listen, let me tell you something. An asterisk. It should should be an asterisk, a crown, you know what I'm saying? I feel like the Pope should just come, you know, the Imam, like everybody should just come shake Anthony Davis's and LeBron James' hand when they win this chip. You know what I mean? Like, yo, they the ones that was the leaders of the whole, you know what? We about to come out here and entertain the folks, but we going to do it our way, whether you like it or not, whether one, one person watches it, whether 10 million people watches it, whether the president likes it, whether he doesn't like it, it doesn't matter. We're going to do what we got to do because, hey, look, it's a business. We got to make our money. We got to feed our families. And at the same time, you know, this is the game we love. So uh, asterisk, come on, man. Like, that's, that's crazy. It's not no one's fault of what happened, you know. 
we don't have to commend anybody for wanting to start back sports. We know some people in the world don't necessarily want, you know, it's like some people don't really like sports that much. And I get that. It's not even like, yo, like once again, I've said this a couple of times. I'll say it again. If the MLB, NBA, hockey, NFL, they don't want, if they didn't want to play this season, I'm not going to sit here and jump on Facebook and be mad about it. It's their leagues. I have nothing to do with it, but I'm very entertained by sports. You know, as I'm talking right now, I'm watching the Giants get slapped around by the San Francisco 49ers, 36 to nine. So, yo, this is what it is. I mean, my normal sin, my normalcy got taken away from me. So any bit of it that I can get, I'm willing to take. So if I have to watch LeBron and AD and the Boston Celtics and Jimmy Butler and Giannis into the Kumpo go off in a bubble in Orlando, so be it. If I got to watch Vince McMahon start doing shows in Orlando, Florida at his performance center, so be it. I'm with it. You know what I mean? That's my form of entertainment. What say you? I'm just playing devil's advocate. Uh, There was half a season. There was a four-month break. And then they resumed in a bubble. You know what I'm saying? So it's it, that's the reason why I think uh, people are mentioning the asterisk is because like this isn't a complete NBA season. And so how could you truly judge who the true contenders were? Well, if you want to play that game, the best team that the best team before the coronavirus is in the Western Conference Finals. The Lakers. That's correct. So for for right now, I would say the NBA is 50% correct right now. Do you think that the Nuggets would have been as as much of a contender as they were had it, had it been a full season? The Nuggets were one of the four best teams in the NBA, like the four best teams in the West. Okay. Yeah, they're, they're, they're a high seed. I mean, uh, Jokic is no joke. If anything... I think the emergence of Jamal Murray, no one really knew that he was going to be like that type of guard. They wound up giving him like a, a, a hundred million plus extension. Like this dude could really ball. He's a Kyrie type of type type of guy. Mm. But they didn't know that they had that in him, you know, and he just started balling. So, um, I mean, they wound up knocking off Kawhi and Paul George and those dudes over there at the Clippers. Now on the East, you know, the East is a weaker division sort of compared to the West. So, the Miami Heat may wind up beating Boston today, Sunday. It may happen, it may not. But let's say if it happens, you know, they wasn't looked at as one of the top three teams in the East. But the East is not that strong anyway. Mm. So that's why I say it's 50% correct because people expected the Lakers to be where they at right now. Mm-hmm. We didn't know who going to come out from the East. You know, because, hey, let's be honest. Let's say if Kevin Durant said, you know what? Nah, nah, I feel like playing. The Brooklyn Nets may wind up in the finals. We don't know. Mm. So with all that being said, to ask that question, I think the best person to answer it is LeBron James. Because I promise you, Bron Bron going to tell you that this is the greatest ring ever. Mm. I'm telling you, I can't wait for it. LeBron is great. He does young Young people create narratives and they do it through social media. That's LeBron is the one that has people really having the argument between Jordan and LeBron. LeBron, I love you so much, bro, but it's really not an argument between you and Jordan. It's not really that much. Like that's just like if you want to have a discussion about it, sure, but the answer should always be Jordan. Right. It should always be Jordan. Like, why not? It's just it's Jordan. But he he has found a way through Instagram and, you know, all his other platforms 
doing all his businesses to make one think like, hey, hey, is LeBron better than Michael Jordan? It's like, no. And that's why probably, probably why Michael over here getting his businesses up. Like, you know what, LeBron, if that's what you want to do, I'm about to have a NASCAR team now. You keep with me. I might buy hockey too. I'm going to let Travis Scott use my mansion shoot a video. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I'm about to show you, you know what I'm saying? People think Charles Barkley more woke than both of us, but nah, baby, it's me. Hey, yo, what the f***? This is a pallet right here. 